Welcome to the Frankly Speaking podcast. Today I am joined by David Park, founder and CEO of Jenny AI. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It was all pronounced correctly. The name, the startup. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so David is a pretty hotshot founder. He has over a million <laughs> users on his product already. Uh, <laughs> Two million. Calic- Two million now, wow. Uh, Jason Kalikadakis from All In Podcast is one of his investors. Uh, I actually found him initially on Twitter. Uh, I don't remember what post he tweeted, but I thought it was insightful, so I followed him. Uh, he's messaged me, and here we are. So welcome, David. Dude, this is crazy. I've seen your TikToks probably for like the last, I don't even know, for a while. And then when I saw you followed me, your your Twitter username is completely different from your TikTok username. Yeah. So I was like, who is, I've seen this guy's face, <laughs> but I don't know. It's like some, it's, 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 is it like your Chinese name or something? I was like, who is this guy? And then. Yeah. And then once I figured out it was you, I was like, okay, I have to DM this guy. <laughs> yeah. So my, my Frank New handle was taken by some other random Frank New, I guess. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, my Chinese name is what I use for a lot of stuff just because I can't get that unique handle everywhere. But um, yeah. if I ever become super rich, I'll, I'll buy out my handle everywhere. Yeah. I've tried to buy a few handles on Twitter as well. And it <laughs> always ended c- catastrophically because I always post about my startup. So they think I'm like really rich. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's going to be a hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, dude, I don't have that money <laughs> to buy a Twitter handle right now. Yeah. It's hilarious. Did you see how Elon just took the X handle from some dude? Like some, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have mixed feelings about that, but it, I mean, uh, uh, it really sucks for that dude. I think we're all in agreement. It really fucking sucks for that ex dude. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised he didn't just offer him like some pity money. Like it would have been better than nothing. Even like I don't know, 10k, which is like literally nothing to him. And yeah. people still would have been upset at 10k, but I feel like less so. Uh, but I guess yeah. he doesn't care. I mean, have you read his uh, autobiography or his biography by Walter Isaacson, Elon's? Um, is that the most recent one? I read a previous one. I don't remember which one it was though. Like who, who it was by. Oh, most re- it came out like, I think two months ago. If you oh no, I haven't read that one. Well, he's famously like super mercurial about like cutting costs and like not wasting any money. Mm. So unfortunately I think this X guy, he was, uh, he knew he could just get it for free. So he just decided <laughs> to not add to the, to his, uh, balance sheet with any more costs. Yeah. That kind of tracks with all the marketing that he's done. I don't yeah. know how like legitimate it is though. Like, cause in his first biography, he also has this story where he's like building his rockets and like, he can't get rockets for a reasonable price in America. So he goes to Russia, yeah, yeah. buys his like used old ass rockets and, you know, engineers everything himself. But uh-huh. like, so I used to think like, oh man, this, this dude's like Tony Stark, right? Um, yeah. And then like the more I kind of learn about him and most of it honestly was from like Twitter and Reddit. They're like, oh no, he's like full of shit. Like a lot of this is like mar- marketing propaganda. He like grew up rich, had a bunch of like emeralds in his pockets in New York or something. Like, so like this entire persona that were sold or he sold, I guess, in his marketing team. I don't know mm-hmm. how much of it is true. So like, and the cutting cost thing, I think that part seems pretty real because he like yeah. fired the pepper pots equivalent of him. Um, it was like his long term. Yeah. Oh, no, that was in the other biography. Yeah, I remember that. Like, the craziest part was he was like, she asked for a raise or something, I think. He was like, let me absorb all of your job responsibilities for a week, and then I'll see if I'll give you a raise. And he realized, oh, I could just do your job. And then you're like, holy fuck. That was crazy to me. Like, I was thinking, you don't do that. (laughs) No, you don't. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, the mythos of Elon Musk is now bigger than the human 
Elon Musk. But, um, you know, I think it's hard to disagree that he's like a really capable entrepreneur, like the smartest people in the world who are like the best allocators of capital all want to back Elon Musk, which yeah. probably means that they know that he's it's a winner, uh, a winner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Regardless of all the like ethical implications, it's like you can't right. really argue that realistically, if you're wealthy or not already, like no one else could really have accomplished what he did. Um, you know, <laughs> obviously not not a perfect person, uh, very controversial yeah. in some ways, but uh, yeah. I feel like it's it's somewhat hard not to be controversial these days. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's yeah, there's just people seem to be really addicted to outrage content and being upset and having the the virtue signaling type of mm. stuff online is, I don't know, super crazy, like getting more crazy these days than the past couple it makes of you years. feel alive, you know, it makes you feel alive when you, you feel like someone else. Some so if some celebrity just looks really fucking stupid in your eyes then it just kind of like elevates yourself like oh man like these celebrities are so stupid and then you just, you just parrot that on twitter and on yeah, yeah, yeah stories and kind of makes you feel better about yourself which is kind of unfortunate i think it's very similar to like before it was like thoughts and prayers on facebook and then it became yeah. like oh you know change your profile picture to like this flag to whatever yeah the current trending topic is and now it's like oh make outrage content like not only do those things but also make a video calling them out yeah. or a tweet yeah, yeah. or like something yeah. and then you get you know a lot of votes up votes or likes or hearts or whatever right um, and you get that like dopamine hit and you're like oh this feels nice like yeah you immediately become like part of a tribe right you immediately right. become like accepted by the other people who are like have decided to make up their minds and yeah it's 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 pretty crazy i have a theory though that like the next generation like not our generation but the one maybe maybe the next net where like the when they're like maybe the 10 year olds now won't have as much of cancel culture because their entire life is documented online and everyone is bound to say some like dumb shit, you know, really questionable, terrible things. And they're like <laughs> teens. <laughs> Whereas we, you know, most of ours is like hidden yeah. just because we did We had yeah, like yeah. T-Mobile razors. And so like those didn't really like track all of our stuff, but hopefully it's a better time for them because you can't cancel anybody. Cause everybody has like skeletons in their closet, like really visibly that you could see. Yeah. It's hilarious. Cause everyone says like the internet is forever, but like, yeah. said we don't we didn't really experience that because most of our stuff is now either extinct or just like was never recorded in the first place yeah yeah um which may be good you know but kind of bad because now the the few things we do find it's like holy shit do you guys see his old messages <laughs> when he yeah. was 16 you know it's like i don't know everyone sends really um you know you're still learning at 16 you're kind of meant to mess up and fuck up at that time it's weirder if you don't have like things that you learned from, I think, at that age. Yeah, it's like you repressed it all, Ned Flanders style and well, eventually. Right, right. <laughs> I guess, first of all, let's talk more about um, Jenny AI, like what got you started on the concept? Uh, I've seen you've been working on this for a somewhat long time, it appears. Or yes. like I went on your LinkedIn and it said you were Alton or something. And then this Jenny. <laughs> <Alton. is, laughs> yeah, no. um, so I mean, I've been always pretty interested. I feel like a canon event for a lot of entrepreneurs is they watch The Social Network, the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I watched that on my, I think, eighth eighth grade uh, birthday, which means I was like 13, 14. And not that that was so cool. As like a nerd, when you watch that movie, you think like, oh, this could like, this is like the apex of my coolness I could probably achieve, like in <laughs> this movie, you know? You don't, you don't really like visualize yourself as like, you know, the Marvel superhero or like, 
the frat star or whatever. But like, you know, I felt I really felt like, okay, I could be, you know, probably this smart in my lifetime of this social network, which is kind of weird because it's actually kind of like a tragic movie. But I guess I was so young, I didn't really, I just saw like the, like the adventure that they had. But um, yeah, so anyways, I started my first company when I was 16. Um, what you're referring to is Altum, which I started in my freshman year of college. And um, yeah, I mean, I basically failed so many startups until Jenny AI, which I started four years ago. Even Jenny AI failed its first iterations. We started off as like an SEO tool, like a B2B tool. And um, that really failed to get traction. I don't know if you know, like Jasper AI, Copy AI. Yep. They like wiped the floor with me because one, I was like a snotty nosed, like 21 year old. And they were like 40 year olds with a bunch of VC funding. And they just they just knew how distribution way better. Um, but then once I lost to them, I kind of learned some of their uh, playbook. And then I, I was able to try again because uh, there's a blue ocean in academia of like researchers and college students who wanted to, you know, write with AI. So um, I was able to really try again. So we pivoted away from B2B to B2C to these, to, to academia. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been going really well. Um, right now our, our niche is like graduates, uh, PhDs and master's students. And um, yeah, I mean, essentially, like I said, we're at 2 million users, but you know, for three years we were stuck at less than probably like 10,000 users. And it was only within the last 15 months we grew to 2 million users and, um, you know, finally getting some semblance of success. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It sounds like that's a quite, um, pretty good journey. And a lot of people underestimate the first couple of years in your case, like almost like a decade where it's just yeah. like not much going on and then yeah, yeah. vertical growth, um, yeah, yeah. and the hockey stick. And then what do you think really made the difference? Was it more like the niching down to the graduate students? Um, and then that blew up. And then was it also like your social media presence that did a lot of marketing? Was it more mouth, uh, word of mouth, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I wish there was one like sexy answer. I probably could make up a sexy answer of like, we solved this one key thing. Yeah. And this trick is what you need to write. But like, you know, there are probably small things I picked up from my first startup, I feel when I was 16 years old, all the way up until, you know, the, my latest iteration of Jenny where all the things just started to click. Um, and I do think it's kind of holistic where, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it's not just, you can't just do one thing correctly unless you're doing it at like a, the 1% level of like expert level. But, you know, it wasn't like we were doing that. It was just, um, we started to talk more to users. We started to um, actually cut out all the superfluous features in our product. Mm -hmm. um, we started to be more lean, um, just like really basic things that we started to do correctly. Um, and yeah, I, I guess the big thing actually, if I had to pick one is probably more um, just going back to like the social network, you know, when you when I watched that movie, I thought I was the next Mark Zuckerberg. I thought like, oh, I'm a founder. I, I'm going to make a billion dollar company. But it turns out like, almost all of my decisions were wrong. Like every, anything based on my gut was just kind of incorrect, almost always. And then even if I go and I talk and I listen to users, they're still wrong some percentage of the time, like some percent of it is still wrong, but at the, at the very least it trended in the right direction. So it would be like somewhat right. And then I would continue to talk to users and then I would correct it, correct it, correct it. And then we'd eventually make something that users actually like to use. So yeah, I would say a lot of it has to do with kind of 
removing your own ego, I would say, which sucks because like, I feel like entrepreneurship attracts people with large egos. It takes someone with a very large ego to like yeah. get punched in the face, like literally every single day. Um, and then still wake up and be like, I'm going to make a billion dollar company. And, but, but in order to also succeed, you need to have the inverse of that. It's like a beautiful, like the dichotomy of like, you have to be, you have to, you have to really believe in yourself, but you have to also like really not take yourself seriously and just think, how can I make the best product? How can I listen to my users? So, uh, yeah, I would say those are some takeaways. Yeah. So some common themes I heard throughout uh, what you said and what I've read elsewhere is really just getting user feedback, iteration, and also, yeah. like you said, it's not one big thing, but a lot of small things that right. you've done throughout all the previous experiences and it adds up. And after like the continual iteration, uh, <laughs> at some point, the like amalgamation of all the experiences and benefits just turns into something that people want to use. No, I mean, that's like, can we like deep fake your answer onto my voice? Cause that was like way more succinct than whatever the fuck I just said. So like, <laughs> let's just roll with that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, speaking of like deep fakes and stuff, um, I've seen OpenAI like add more and more and more features. Like one of the huge things that a lot of companies wanted initially when they saw this, they're like, all right, how do we train these models on our own internal data so we can read our documents, summarize internal training, all the like stuff that they don't actually want the training data to be based off of, but they want yeah. like, their personalized OpenAI. Uh, so a right. lot of people were trying to make that. And then I think in the past week, OpenAI just released something. It's like, hey, we're letting you do this now. You know, mm -hmm. Upload a document, you can do this. Um, yeah. Are you worried that I guess they're going to eat your lunch? So like similar to like how Amazon kind of like compares products that are doing well, they're just like, oh, you know, this product's selling well because they have all the data. Right, and, right. Right, they have all the data. And they're like, okay, we'll just undercut them, kill them. And then you know, once they're dead, we'll just sell our own version. Um, yeah. So I guess if like, you know, GPT-4 access is ever cut off, is is that still like a kind of like a central point to your startup and potentially like a lot of the other startups in the past year? Or do you think mm -hmm. that eventually you might be able to like, I don't know, replace it with an open source model like well, Llama or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hear two questions. So I'll start with the first thing of like, am I afraid that it, it sounds like the questions are, am I ever afraid open is going to cut off, cut off access? And if it does, what will happen to us? And the other one is like, Am I afraid OpenAI will ever create a compete? Like they'll ever compete with us? Um, I guess the one I think about more uh, is the comp com competition part. Like, I will say it's not in, it, it's not outside the realm of possibilities. Where OpenAI maybe makes like a chat GPT, like they they go out of chat and they create some like editor and they create some like document where it has AI first capabilities, um, but. You know, I feel like one competitive or one moat that we have that um, isn't really obvious is that we're going after um, like academia. Like there's still a lot of journals where they don't accept AI written content or it's kind of ambiguous what AI written content and definitely in college, right? It's case by case. Some classes allow AI content, some classes don't. And so being in kind of that legal gray area, uh, Initially, it might seem kind of off-putting off and it might scare a founder, I think. But, but actually, being in that gray area is like one of the safest places to be because you know that these larger incumbents are more scared of like doubling down and like going, get, getting, because bad PR for us, you know, we can only go down to zero and like, sure, we, we make like some money now, but um, it's definitely not nearly as painful as like Google or, right. you know, Microsoft Word or, um, you know, OpenAI. If they start being labeled as like, 
a cheating company or they're uh, hurting the intelligence of you know students these sorts of things can really affect stock prices they can affect like internal morale question like so i actually think that insulates us a lot that moving in the gray area and there's a lot of examples of like i think like uber airbnb coinbase like they were also able to kind of ride in that they were building like the playbook they were building the legislation as they were kind of uh, growing which um protected them as well so but but that isn't to say that i think that competition isn't uh something that i think about or something that i'm scared of or not scared of something that i'm mindful of um but i just don't think that it's something in the near future but watch but but life is very funny so watch this a podcast come out and then open it immediately release like <laughs> that'd be pretty awesome as well but um yeah and then the other thing is we we have experimented with other models as well um I won't lie. I would say if, uh, if they cut off like GPT 3.5 access, I don't think that'd be a problem because I think we could get to like there there are other alternatives out there where we could get like pretty similar results, I think. But GPT 4 is probably one of the leading models right now. That would probably be a little more of a headache. But with enough funding and with enough time, I think that also wouldn't be an issue. Uh, we also we, we were before GPT 4 came out, we were uh, like deploying. We deployed our own model. And we were like thinking of sponsoring a PhD student at our alma mater, UCSD. But um, the conclusion we came down to was uh, like OpenAI is just a monster. They have all the talent. They have more money than God. Uh, even if we were somehow able to get parity with GPT-4, once GPT-5 comes out, like all the work we put in would just get, it would just be wasted because, um, yeah, I mean, it's we're, we're like a nine person team many of us like this is some of our first jobs so it's uh unclear if we could like beat open ai at their at their game of creating these humongous and uh like miraculous llfs yeah that makes sense and then to uh follow up a bit on something that you mentioned about legislation yeah. so like, you're protected by great area but at the same time it also seems like a lot of the tech giants are now trying to kind of pull up the ladder behind them by introducing yeah, yeah. new legislation to make it financially uh, unlikely for startups to kind of chase after them. So you mentioned yeah. how like already it was quite unlikely for a small team to compete just based on the resources yeah. alone. Uh, but now, yeah. you know, them in combination with Microsoft, Google, kind of the incumbent tech giants, right. they've been talking to Congress, they're trying to introduce legislation that will effectively cripple a lot of AI development. And it always sounds so good, right? They're like, oh, we need yeah, this legislation yeah. for AI safety. And like the only things that like, the only companies that, like fulfill this requirement or, or happen to be the people that's like paying the most money to the government. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I mean, uh, at some point, like if I were talking to a VC, I would probably have some like magic answer of like, but actually here and then flip it on its head. But no, that kind of sucks. Like I actually don't know. The best we could do is like, you know, I think that the entire world is going to be AI assisted. So I think that what I'm doing is pretty interesting. I think that the whole entire education system is probably going to change. It's going to be forced to change. Yeah. I think that's kind of exciting to be on the other side of that. Um, and yeah, so I, I'm going to keep doing what what we're doing, and we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, I, I I've I noticed it as well. Like regulatory capture is like I mean, it's kind of like the playbook, right? You get as big as you can. You become a monopoly. You try to like rewrite it so nobody else can uh, compete with you. And then you just kind of coast and become the biggest company. Like, you know, it's like, it's not fun, but it's not, it's also not new. I find it really interesting that they acted so quickly on this front 
just because when you look at the crypto industry being regulated, it's taken forever. Like yeah. it's been like a decade and there hasn't been like concrete answers. And with like Coinbase is really the only company pushing for answers in any manner. I think they actually sued the government, one of the, I forget which branch or like what uh, division, but yeah. they're like, hey, like give us some answers. Like we want to comply. Dude, yeah, it's, uh, it's messed up. And it wasn't because I think Sam Bankman-Fried is like the second highest donor ever to the U.S. government, I think. I, I'm, maybe on paper, on with a paper trail, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. But um, yeah, and, and and despite SBF's all that money, like it doesn't seem like we got that many answers. And um, Well, I think yeah. his play was that he was trying to do regulatory capture as well, uh, but for, for himself. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, it all kind of fell apart. He actually just got convicted. It was like one of the shortest trials ever. It was like, 30 minutes in and out, jury's like, yeah, guilty, guilty on you everything. You got convicted on all counts, yeah, too. Yeah. It was like every single one, which is <laughs> fucking, he's going to be in jail until like. It's effectively a life sentence. It's like yeah. over 100 years altogether, um, which I and I think a lot of other people were surprised about because everyone's like, oh, you know, government's corrupt. He donated all this money. He's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, but then I guess the other side of it, people were saying like, well, it's not just like donating giving people money it's like also about the leverage like what blackmail do you have on them um mm. and i just finished watching succession so i was thinking like oh that's kind of an interesting take like, wait is that actually what happens wait can you educate me on that like do 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 like rich powerful people like is there actually evidence of them having blackmail on these government officials or i mean the most popular and infamous case is donald trump and russia right like the mm. the theory is that he went over to russia got honey trapped and you know they recorded him. I totally believe that too. I believe, I totally it believe as well. It. Like it's yeah, it's yeah. an extremely plausible story. Like yeah. I think a lot of times when people, you know, these are conspiracy theories. Like that sounds like something he would do. That sounds like something Russia would do. It yeah. makes sense why he was so buddy buddy with Putin during uh, his presidency. And right. so like, you know, that's just a high profile case. But I'm sure that kind of stuff. Like, all these politicians have dirt on each other, and like the main thing preventing them from coming out with it is like they also have dirt on themselves and even with like the epstein case which was never resolved and like the entire american peoples were all like hey release the list release the list and they're like nope we're not going to release the list it's just like you know yes yeah. these, these skeletons like except for the rich and powerful it's not with skeletons it's like giant right. behemoth dinosaur bones in their closets um yeah that you know we'll never see but i i feel like it's it's this is really simplified, but I saw this like chart where it shows like, here's how people behave when you're like extremely poor, like mm -hmm. middle class and well off. And then the well off section and the extremely poor section still, they share a lot of parallels in the sense that like who you know is one of the most important, but for different reasons. So when mm -hmm. like you're really poor, you need to know people just to survive. Like you need to mm -hmm. borrow someone's lawnmower, mm -hmm. uh, get your neighbor to babysit the kids, um, mm -hmm. you know, take someone's car for a job interview and your neighborhood becomes like an extension as part of your resources. Um, right. You're really wealthy. You don't need any of that, but you also don't care about your career as much because like you're, if you come from wealth or like a family money, then it's like, okay, well, do you know like Beyonce? Are you friends with like, uh, yeah. I don't know, LeBron. You've been on Jeff Bezos's second mega yacht. That's yeah. where all the business dealings occur. <laughs> exactly. So it's like at that point, you know, I, I don't know anyone in that wealth category. Like I know some billionaires on paper who haven't been able or not liquid, but like, I don't know any actual rich people in the upper echelon of like 
I mean, you're probably the closest person because you you're, you have a semi connection to Jason. But I don't even think he's a billionaire. I think he's he's uh, a he's famously a centi millionaire. Yeah, centi millionaire. Out of the other three members who are billionaires on his yeah. podcast, I don't know if Sax is Sax a billionaire. I'm not entirely sure. I think in terms of yeah. wealth, Tremont is the wealthiest. Yeah, by far. And then it goes yeah. Sax and um, Freeberg are probably somewhat equal. And then Jason. Yeah. I mean, it's. <laughs> I think it's both funny and somewhat unnecessary but like right that they shit on jason for being the poorest but it's not like them having wealth matters a whole lot like they're at the stage where it's like gaining more wealth to gain it i guess mm -hmm. so i don't know yeah yeah no i i i do think that jason is um like his uber story is pretty crazy where he joined the angel round of uber and he got like a four thousand x return on his money um but yeah, I, I do respect Jason as well because he's like he was an entrepreneur before he was an investor. So he's like an operator and a builder and an investor. Whereas, um, yeah, I mean, there like if we just go more generally into investors, like there are some investors that have never built startups before. And I think that uh, of the ones I've interacted with, I'm not as big of a fan of them <laughs> generally. Yeah, I guess like in terms of the returns for all of their funds, because um, mm -hmm. like most of uh, Sachs has a fund, Jason has a fund. I think mm -hmm. Tremoth has a fund as well. Uh, I don't know if Freeberg actually has a fund or if he just builds companies, but um, it doesn't. I think he invests. I don't know if he has a fund, but I think he invests. Yeah, he invests like his personal money, but it's not like um, he doesn't like hire people and it's not like his main thing. Whereas like the other three, it feels like that's their main thing at this point. Um, right. And it doesn't seem like as far as I know, any of them are doing that well with their investments like freeberg actually made a comment he's like oh yeah you know if you tally up all my investments i made like pretty much the same as s p 500 over right. the past decade or whatever and these are people who have access to like all the deals like the uber-esque deals yeah like, they want a deal they could probably get in um, right so i guess i don't know at, at that point it's like <clears throat> kind of ties back into what you said earlier but like hubris of like right. getting rid of your ego but i still think that like especially for people who've been on top for so long, who've done so well in their careers, their thing, mm -hmm. the mindset is always like, oh, well, you know, this is this is another thing that I'll gain expertise in and I'll do really well. Um, but the results have shown that it hasn't been great, uh, as to my knowledge. Like, I don't know what their personal, their books look like on the internals, but from like tech getting destroyed, uh, both public and the private, much more so in the past year, effectively. Yeah. Um, I'd be surprised to see, see if they have been outperforming yeah i mean i mean i don't know who i think munger recently was on a podcast was saying like vc is basically just like gambling yeah and it's like pretty glorified uh which you know as someone who's been rejected by many vcs that's like makes me somewhat happy to hear <laughs> that they, they they don't really know what they're doing obviously there are probably some firms that know what they're doing like sequoia or um Andreessen Horowitz, although lately, you know, it's not it's not entirely sure if lately they're they're doing that well, but it seems like they have some track record of knowing how to make smart investments. But um, yeah, I think the funny thing is like Chamath had like uh, he once compared his returns in one of his yeah. like if we're talking about a little bit of ego, Chamath definitely has. E but like at the same time, Chamath was the brain behind Facebook's growth, getting to like a billion users. And I don't want to underplay that either. You know, it's easy to kind of like, he's made his money. 
he's he's now chilling he's he's in he's in italy all the time with his beautiful wife and like he's having he's just drinking wine and gambling so um it's unclear whether he still has that like fire but when he did have that fire he was like pretty pretty scary he was he was able to make facebook like one of the fastest growing startups in history which is pretty nuts yeah so like a bit more um i guess background tramath for listeners slash viewers he was a really yeah. early in uh, employee at Facebook. He yeah. effectively founded the data science team. Um, he kind of created data science, what it, what it is today, right? Yeah. That's, that's his claim. I don't know how true that is, but that, that yeah. is his claim. Um, yeah. And then he was also a really early investor in Bitcoin, uh, one of the very early people to kind of call that being a big thing. And yeah, he's the wealthiest person on the pod and was actually the original reason I even tuned in in the first place. Like I didn't know any of the other guys. Right. Um, and so like for all the crap that he gets and all the like statements that he makes on Twitter where he gets kind of dunked on. So like the one that David was referring to, he's like, oh yeah, comparing my, my fund to Buffett's and people yeah. were like, dude, <laughs> and cause it wasn't quite. You don't fair. do it no more. He don't, he don't, he doesn't do it anymore. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> yeah, yeah. cause he got wrecked. Um, yeah. but, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely done a lot of great things and he also has made some pretty outlandish statements i think the above the line below the line thing was pretty big oh, yeah, for a while, was... uh during the whole ukraine thing yeah um but yeah i mean like, I, I disagree with that statement but at the same time i kind of like the fact that those statements exist kind of shows that these people are just like they genuinely just get together and just talk shit and they just talk like what's really on their mind and i think that's what chamath really believes and that's it's pretty yeah. pretty bad the way he phrased it and you know but <clears throat> I do think we miss like, like there's too much varnish and there's too much like carefully crafted things, uh, like in terms of media right now. Yeah. And I do feel like the All In podcast is, it genuinely feels like, they could like at any given week they could say something that's just like really, uh, that's that's actually somewhat, like that's actually kind of edgy and actually, could be outrageous, but something that they actually believe and maybe needs to be heard. In that case, I think he shouldn't have said that. But like, there's some cases where like they say something that maybe mainstream media like is too afraid to kind of dive into, which I think is nice. Yeah, I feel like from that point onwards, um, all the members have been a lot more guarded or and more researched. Oh, you think so? Well. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I like. I think, and that was also kind of where they started a lot of their own growth for that podcast. Like, I think that mm. was somewhat of a turning point where they were starting to gain steam. And become like really one of the top podcasts in the world and now i think they're kind of cemently you know top two or three in terms of like business tech mm -hmm. um political stuff but um at that point i feel like the podcast before that point were a bit more candid whereas yeah. now it's like they've received so much blowback from that one um <clears throat> and then even like Sachs getting a lot of pushback for a lot of his statements and now he effectively has like a team who does the research for him and he'll like show all the research and like each yeah. one of his statements he, he makes he has so much like supporting history and facts and you numbers. can't listen to the podcast anymore right because it's yeah. always like throw up that graph and you're and yeah, then yeah. like if you're listening you're like fuck like, yeah, like what is going on right? yeah, yeah i don't know what's happening <laughs> yeah so it's I, I agree with you i really enjoyed the show um in the past because i felt like there was a lot of candor there was a lot of things and like you know these are rich dudes who were like even if they can cancel who cares really because yeah. Worst thing, they go back to their lives doing their VC stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I do feel like they have a certain like influence in Washington now because so many people listen and so many official, like rich and important people listen to it. But I also right. think that there is, like you kind of said, where previously there wasn't a veneer. I feel like there definitely is one now. Like mm -hmm. it's not 
I, there's like more that's stuff fair. To out. I think that's fair. Yeah. And yeah, I guess that does suck. I mean, like, it, like it sounds like you're pretty disappointed by the veneer being out as well. So do you yeah. like not listen or not like it as much anymore? I, I don't listen as often anymore. Like mm -hmm. I'll maybe tune in sometimes when I'm really bored of thinking like, okay, I haven't seen all in for a bit and I'll skip through like the parts that I'm somewhat interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like they kind of it almost peaked with that controversy in my mind. Damn. Um, and <laughs> yeah. But you know, by the numbers, they're still doing obviously much better um, than they were yeah. before. But I guess like for me, I think the part I enjoyed the most was like you said them speaking their minds. And like when Tremont said that, right. maybe he didn't phrase it in the best way, but you know, it was obvious that's what he felt. Yeah. Like the it was his real, true feelings. And yeah. I do think. Um, it kind of like I think it's a reason why people like Joe Rogan a lot. So even though he's not like right. the most informed person, he just says stuff like very clearly, like without. It's just refreshing, right? It's right. just kind of refreshing to hear that, right? Yeah. And like with all the BS, right? Like everyone in media, it's like so much BS. Um, and I I think um, kind of transitioning a bit, it's interesting to see the propaganda and like how tales get spun in the different like hemispheres of the world. So like in the West, I mean. I think most people at this point know there's like a certain level of propaganda uh, in the news. And then in Europe, mm -hmm. like the news is quite a bit different. And then Chinese news or a lot of Asian news, which people don't typically have access to over here because like language mm -hmm. barrier and why would they even look over there? Um, mm -hmm. Also is like very different. And like I have relatives who are still in China, um, grandparents or parents, I guess, who like listen to a lot of more like Asian news or just global what? news. And it's really interesting to see the kind of stuff that gets reported on and like the slant that the article has and even how like reporting now like they're in such a race to be breaking news that they'll like cite tweets or like just completely false information but they're like oh shoot this other news organization they just they just published this article we gotta go like we gotta get yeah. on this like we can't be falling behind and it's kind of crazy yeah incentives are really weird right like if like i was thinking about the other day i was wondering like how can you even fix the news how can you fix like, how can you fix those incentives where like uh, if the incentive is always to drive the most traffic, drive the most clicks, then you're always going to be want to be engaging in that behavior of like yeah. one, it has to be breaking. And two, you, you want to be getting the most salacious things out. Right. So if it's breaking and salacious, that combination is pretty dangerous because a lot of times it's just going to be wrong, um, like <laughs> later down the line. But uh, if you don't engage in that, then you will definitely just have less subscriptions and the like like news organizations are already dying like they're they, they're not really able to monetize properly anymore because there's just an abundance of information for free everywhere and so if you don't engage in that you'll accelerate your own demise even faster so i don't even know like what the solution to that is which is kind of sad um yeah i mean yeah there's no even solution here it's just a comment of like it's just kind of sad i don't know how to fix that <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it'll ever be fixed, really. Just like, unless you fix human behavior or psychology itself, right. it's like, right. that's always going to be a thing driving eyeballs. And even like, when you look at the most popular streamers in the world, it's like yeah. I Show Speed, Aiden Ross, like their appeal is because they're so outrageous. And to like the yeah. younger audience, like that's what they want. Like they're like this generation's uh, Logan Paul. Like Logan Paul used right. to be that guy. Um, right. But now he's right. you know, kind of older, so he can't really be that guy for anymore. It's like getting weird because right. he's a dude in his 30s who's appealing right. to 
you know, young teens, like, that doesn't work. So right. it's like you need a new generation of young teens who, and I don't know who's the Logan Paul before him. Um, maybe, like. I mean, it was probably, like, who was it, before Logan Paul? Maybe, like, maybe before YouTube, maybe, like, the Paris Hiltons, the Lindsay Lohans. I don't know. I don't even know. But. Yeah, it's like social media wasn't really much of a thing yeah. before then, I guess. So, like, there, there wasn't really a chance for anyone to be that. Yeah. Um, but it's On like, that comment of just, like, social media, it's also weird, too, like, if you look at Mr. Beast's thumbnails or, like, Mr. Beast's videos, like, this this guy is, like, probably the world's foremost leading expert on, like, thumbnails. Mm -hmm. And what it's devolved to is just, like, a super spray-painted, like, his face yep. going, like, like just, like, a bewildered face. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, like, that is the gold standard. That is the best yeah. thumbnail you could possibly make in the world. And it's just, like, a clickbait, you know, like crazy death trap or like a mega 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 yacht or a mansion yeah, and yeah. going like just uh really surprised by it and yeah i mean it, it, theoretically everybody should be doing that right everybody should be making like the craziest thumbnail they could and then just like acting like their mind is literally being fucking blown by the thumbnail and then that's kind of a weird world to live in where like if all thumbnails look like that and yeah I don't know. Are we getting old? I feel like we're just making having commentary on like how shitty. Should we talk about some positive stuff? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because like even Mr. Beast is like has a controversial side now where people are yeah. like, oh, it's like exploitation content. You're exploiting the poor. You're exploiting the. And I think it's like, well, that is technically true. Like he's still yeah. technically helping people though, right? It's like, yeah, he's getting some personal benefit, but so are these people being helped. It's like, oh yeah, I so, mean. And even if not, like, there were always shows like Fear Factor or yeah. Survivor where, like, there were always kind of exploitation of, like, people's, like, emotions and Suffering. things on the line that they yeah, either yeah. get or don't get. And, you know, Mr. Beast is a one-man production company. He's not, like, CBS. And he was able to kind of build this empire. And so now he's getting all this flack when, you know, for, for all these all much larger corporations, they're somehow not really being judged on the same level just because... They don't feel like they're friends with the right. CEO of that corp, that, but they feel like, oh, I see Mr. Beast all the time. I feel like I know him enough to critique these things of him and like kind of speak to him in like a more candid way. And it's like, I guess that's that's helped him a lot with his growth because you know people watch him religiously, but also kind of I think it's biting him now where um, they're just really loose with like just saying shit to Mr. Beast now. <laughs> yeah, I think at some point he's gonna have to step away from an on-camera role. Cause like, he's at the point where he does have a entire company underneath him and who's doing yeah. all this stuff. And it's like, it doesn't actually need to be him. It's not like he adds a ton of personality to his videos. He's more just right. like, hey, I'm the face and I'm explaining the rules and stuff. But like, he could easily hire or even promote one of the existing people who are already on there. Um, upwards yeah. more like a host role, or even like switching each of them up and seeing who does well um, yeah. but yeah, I'd be kind of surprised if he continues to do it because like I, I guess we're trying to think like other than him the vanity factor of him being able to be there um, oh did you ever watch his brother's channel that kind of like was a mini version of him oh it's, his, it's technically his older brother but I've, I've never seen his I, I didn't even know he had an older brother. <laughs> so basically he like set him up with a, his own channel and he was just doing like the almost exact same type of videos. And huh. even the crew was similar. It was like Chandler's brother was part of his like cast. Holy shit. It's like a multiverse kind of Mr. Beast. <laughs> I mean, it was like the B team, right? You got like an A yeah, team, yeah. Mr. Beast, and then like B team, 
Mr. This is like the spin-off show exactly. for the people who really love the main show. It's like the Gen V of the boys kind of. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, it, did, it did well by like objective measures. Like I think he had a couple million subs. Each video was getting like a couple hundred thousand, maybe like low millions. Uh, but I think that like being overshadowed aspect caused him to just quit that thing entirely. So even though like yeah. if any regular person reached that level of fame with their own videos, They'd be like, oh, this is awesome. But because his younger brother is Mr. Beast, he's like, oh, this sucks. Right. Like, my life sucks. Right. I can't do this. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's like com uh, like comparing yourself to somebody else. I, like, even Mr. Beast, I think, like, suffers from his own success. I think there was yeah. at one point where, like, he, he measures his success based on, like, is his video, like, on, uh, like, his past 10 videos average? Like, is this the the higher than the average of his past 10 videos or something? And I think there was one point where, like, his last 10 videos were, like, the highest, the best performing videos of all time. Yeah. So, like, in order for his next video to beat his average, he would have to be, like, it would have to be one of the, like, fastest videos, to, like, 10 million views or something yeah. um, in history. And so, you know, it's got to be, I mean, tying it back, like, Logan Paul kind of suffered from that as well because he, he daily vlogged right like he daily vlogged every day had to be an insane day which forces you to do like which forces you to find the craziest thing you could do at short notice um fly to countries and unfortunately one of the countries he flew to is japan and like he was forced <laughs> to like you know he saw something outrageous and crazy and then he was forced to outdo his yesterday self who was and that yesterday was forced out to do the day before and like it just culminated into him just like being in this mindset of being open to filming a dead body and putting it on YouTube, which is like, if you say the sentence out loud, obviously it's fucking <laughs> preposterous, right? But like, you know, Logan Paul isn't, he, he, he seems to be a normal human being like uh, otherwise. So I, I think actually my controversial take is like, I think many people, oh, sorry, I don't think everyone would do that if they were in Logan Paul's position, but I think more people than you would think would, would maybe be pushed to do things that currently we think are outside of our comfort zones. But when you're in that mindset of like, gotta beat, got, gotta keep setting records, gotta keep P, a new PR every single day, I think you could, you, you'd be surprised at what uh, you'd be willing to do to kind of, kind of do that. Yeah, and in that same line, I think a lot of people, they love to virtue signal, they love that feeling, that dopamine, yeah. um, but they don't really take the time to feel any empathy for the actions of others. And like, yeah. like you said, a lot of these actions are probably bad or like oh yeah i don't um, support it let's not yeah, get canceled yeah. <laughs> we don't support logan paul's decision but uh, uh yeah definitely detestable but it's like I, th I think no one most people anyway are not like the villain of their story like right. you judge yeah. everyone else by their actions but you judge yourself, yourself by, by your intentions, intentions. Yeah, exactly yeah. um so it's like like you said there there is a path where you know in his shoes you might have done the same things um everyone wants to tell themselves that they would not have but it's like yeah. Stanford prison experiment and like exactly stuff like that. I it's think like, that was kind of debunked, but like it was I, I debunked, think like yeah. the original things kind of stands. Right. The, right. the theory like kind of makes sense. It's like, yeah. you know, once you're given this power and once it's easy to say no and like a lot of these systems in place and even looking like at like the um, the cop and justice system in the US, it's like mm -hmm. there's a lot of bad cops and they're like, oh, you know, they're all rotten, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, if you were a cop and you try to go in the system and fix things, like you probably get fired. Like you have no idea how that system is set up and how it got to be the way it was. It's like, it's really easy to make a snap judgment without knowing any of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. 
I mean, I guess like speaking on trying to speak of more positive. Mm, let's do it. I feel like each of the positive things that I just thought about also have like a slight negative twist depending <laughs> on who you are. But like, I guess that's everything these days. So like, just <laughs> kind of bring it back to more like AI stuff. And like, I think that people who are in a lot of the creative fields are going to get wrecked, like horribly, horribly wrecked in the next couple of years. Just wait, how's this positive? <laughs> well, so the, the positive side, I, I led with the negative. The positive side is it's going to be a lot easier for people to be entrepreneurial. So I think that a lot of these AI assisted tools will allow people to essentially be like not one man, but like, you know, a really small team and make a fairly robust product that's desired by a lot of people so like even like making like a small indie game before you need like right. artists and music composers and graphic designers and ui people and programmers and everything and now you could it'll still take you a really really long time but feasibly you could do that with one person in like a fraction of fraction of the time or maybe you want to write a book or you want to make a picture book or something like you you can even get it to generate the script to generate the pictures and maybe some fine tuning um and I think that it's like these, a lot of these jobs will still exist, um, probably yeah. at reduced rates, but then it'll free them up to do other potentially more lucrative things. I don't know. It's hard to say, I guess it's like, you know, there's kind of two paths the world can go down or one leads to like a Star Trek utopia, unlimited energy. We right. become a federation and go colonize the stars. And the other one is more like a Star Wars type fascist regime where uh, you know things don't go as well but um right. i don't know I, I think with a lot of the technology advancing the way it is and that with like the fusion energy um and just renewables gaining a lot of traction you know i feel like i think the positive i think i think the positive is the consumer wins right the consumer, the consumer wins, will now win way more because uh it'll be easier to edit videos to the high bar of like your favorite YouTubers with AI assistance. You don't need like their 10 person production team or like their world-class editor because an AI can just like learn their editing style and then chop up your video for you. Um, I think it'll be easier to like come up with uh, like script ideas with like ChatGPT, if, especially if you like fine tune it based upon like your style and your twist. And um, yeah, I think the floor is just gonna be like- A lot higher. Yeah, a lot higher. And that's going to be good because, um, you know, it's just going to increase competition. They'll probably just like, yeah. And, and for startups too. Like, I feel like small, really small startup teams can now tackle pretty big, uh, like pretty big pain points um, without needing, you know, like um, without even needing an office. You could do it fully remote. Yeah. You could just uh, build an MVP, raise some money, and then... Uh, basically do the work of like what would previously would take like 10 at 10x the size of your team and now do it um, in a comparable amount of time and I think that's like really scary for incumbents you know anytime I talk to like like any public company or like I'm, I'm always pretty disappointed with like these larger companies because they move like at you know and it's kind of memed on like oh startups move fast yeah. and big companies move slow but like they actually move so ridiculously slow and they have so much bureaucracy that um, it's so much more exciting to work on a small startup. And I, I think that's like, it used to be kind of ridiculous to think that a small startup could like beat a larger, much better funded company. But just by virtue of being smaller and being like able to 
like iterate way fast, like having iterative cycles, like potentially a hundred X faster, or maybe thousand X faster. Like that is not something that you want to look over. And AI obviously just accelerates that even more. Yeah. And I think you've captured two of the biggest points. Um, and one is like the consumer wins. So, you know, in, in the case of Jenny AI, if you're a graduate student, you're in academia, you can write your papers yeah. much more effectively. Yeah. Um, or even like in your day-to-day -day life, like I actually go to ChatGPT now a lot more often than Google and sometimes, cause like wow. say I want to make like recipes for something because of SEO yeah. is completely fucked on Google. All the results you get are trash and they're like, you don't <clears> find <throat> the information that you want. And now they're trying to monetize even more heavily. And it's like, yeah. you can get two, three, maybe four ads before like a legitimate search result. Um, and it's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's, it's you see my latest tweet. It's actually gross. Like, uh, there are competitors bidding on Jenny AI. They'll, 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 uh, pay for like a sponsored post and they'll make their link just look like Jenny. Their, their link just says <laughs> Jenny AI, like AI writing assistance, but their site is just not Jenny. And I know for a fact that like, you know, there are people just clicking on it, thinking it's Jenny going to them, subscribing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I've, we've reported that ad so many times because it's against their terms of service, but it's just not being like taken seriously. And I just feel bad because this is just one anecdotal case. I'm sure this is happening like all the time yeah. of like these sponsored posts of just, they're not really what the user wants. In this case, it's literally not what they wanted. They typed Jenny AI, <laughs> they wanted Jenny and they get, they get taken to somewhere else. Um, and you know, I'm sure this happening like to some degree, maybe even more severe, like at least this tool is also an education an ed tech tool, but there are probably some cases where like, uh, like for example, my buddy, he runs something called Excel formula bot, which is like an AI that helps you with Excel, but Timu is bidding on it cause it has formula bot in it. So they're selling like breast milk formula and they're like, it's like, uh, like, uh, like formula, uh, like selling, that's the sponsor post. So imagine like. You hear about Excel Formula Bot. Maybe you don't know much about it. You click the Timu link, and now you're just, as a user, you're just like, what a terrible experience. You're just like super confused. You're now wondering whether you need to buy this baby formula or not. Is this what your friend was talking about? Probably not. You have to go back. You wasted some time, and it's just terrible. So yeah, sorry. Continue. I don't want to interrupt you. Continue. But like, it's it, it's fucked right now with Google. No, I mean you completely hit the nail on the head. And I think it's like, if you know someone within the company, they might be able to help you out, but going through the normal support channels, like there's no way, yeah. like good luck. Uh, which is funny. Cause like one time I had, um, a Twitter handle hacked and you know, I tried going through all this normal support measures. And then I literally just contacted my friend who worked at Twitter. I'm like, dude, can you help me out? And yeah. I like, got the account back immediately. And it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's a nepotism, man. It's the world runs on that kind of man. It does. Like, it does. It actually does. Dude, tying back to like what we were saying earlier about when you're really poor, really rich, it's just about who you know. Yep. You know, back in the day, the most important thing before ChatGPT, there was GPT three, and GPT three was like possibly one of the most, the like the most powerful tech you could get, but you could only get it if you knew someone at OpenAI, and so, you know. I, we were pretty, we were, we were working on this tech. We were working in this field for so long and we just couldn't get it until I called one of my friends who was connected with somebody open AI and that got us GPT-3. And I think without hyperbole, just that one phone call was probably worth like a million dollars. Like just getting GPT-3 was worth a million dollars. And there's no like, 
there's no form you could fill out. There's no like way you could kind of email the right person. Well, maybe there is, but like it would it would probably be akin to like nepotism where you'd have to email them, impress them, become their yeah, friend, exactly. and then have them give you access. So yeah, it's really like eye-opening. I'm sure you you have a lot of stories about it as well, but like a lot of it is just who you know. Can, like, can you network effectively to get to the right person, to the decision maker, and then uh, play your cards right there, and then that will unlock like insane amounts of value, opportunity, like lucrative partnerships. And that's just how the world kind of works. And yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. It's not good. It's definitely not good, but. Um, so again, it, this could be like silver lining. It depends on who your audience is. If you're someone who's yeah. really good at networking, who's really social, <laughs> outgoing, yeah. like, this is great news for you. You're like, oh, awesome. Like, and what's hilarious yeah. is that some research came out showing that like, how much your boss likes you is more important. Like whoever your immediate manager is, is yeah. more important than like the, your actual level of work done. And so yeah. like, as a manager, like you're still a human being, like you have right. emotions, you have a connection with people. And so like, obviously if one of your uh, people that you manage, you like on a personal level, you're going to be more lenient with them. Just similar to like one of your friends, right? If someone commits yeah. an egregious act, if that person is your friend, you're going to be much more lenient with them than if it's like some stranger or you don't know. Right. Like, oh, I don't know that guy. Screw that guy. But like, <laughs> oh, Ken, like Ken's my friend. Like, yeah, I'm going to help out Ken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like, I mean, it's it's just human nature. I agree. I, I, mean, I feel like that's your point, right? It's like, it's just human nature. We can't really fix it. Um, and, and I guess that's true. There are ways, like once you kind of figure that out, there are ways to kind of capitalize on it. Like, for example, I do run like a marketing agency on the side. And you could choose to either just send them one monthly update where it just is epic. And you're like, okay, we, we grew your social media account by this much and you have this many followers. And like, that feels nice. feels very professional. But what actually ends up working way better is you actually message them like multiple times a week. Like every time you have one video that's like popping off or doing well, you send them an update. And then like, it becomes more of like a friendly nature. And you find that like the clients that actually renew, they renew much more often when you have more of that like friendly cadence of like, you're constantly talking to them and you're constantly like, they see you as a friend now because you're being like casual with them and you're showing them how often you're working on it versus like more of a sturdy, like here's your pitch deck of like why the last 30 days was so successful. And so, yeah, I mean, if that is just the na our human nature and you do kind of want to play on, like net if networking is really that important, then it probably is good to like level up that skill tree that you have because yeah. there are actually actionable things you could do with that skill tree that like will make your life a lot easier. Um, like even doing the same amount of work, you it will make it because in those both those cases, I did the same amount of work. It's just like, like did when did I send them the message of like what I did? It's like takes an extra 10 seconds, right? So it might actually take longer to make the professional looking pitch deck than to actually just shoot them a message every time. So um, yeah, it's just it's just interesting to think about like when you look at that lens of Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't know if I communicate that correctly, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like what you said, it's not necessarily the most effort or the most pristine looking thing that gets ahead. Right. It's more about like having a more of a human touch. Um, and then like, regardless if you're starting your own company or working in the workplace, like the people I see who move up the fastest, it's purely nepotism. It's like, oh yeah, the person who gets hired in as a VP, he brings in all his underlings from the previous company and they all get like a title bump and they all move up with him. And like yeah. even it's like effectively 
attaching yourself to like the local king or queen so it's like yeah. almost like a mob-esque mob or fiefdom Um, like a mafia. Exactly. It's, Yeah. it's essentially like a pyramid, right? There's a dude at the pyramid, but there's multiple pyramids within each company. So say Right. a company um, has a bunch of these pyramids and mafias, right? And you attach yourself to the right mob boss. And Right. if you know, like if you scratch their back, they're going to scratch yours. They're going to bring you along with them to the next, uh, I guess, city would be like the Yeah. next company. Um, and that's literally the people who move up the fastest in corporate. And it's like the brown nosers, the people who like have someone pulling for them because like when it comes to performance review time or getting a promotion, it's literally like, well, how much is your manager or your VP willing to fight for you? Cause there's a limited Oh, number yeah. of promotions. And so it's like, there's all of, it's probably a bunch of you who did good work. That's like the bar. But then the next step is like, well, do they know your name? Like how visible Right. are your projects? Like people like you, uh, in an undercurrent of like, yeah, it's like, is this the right profile of person we want moving up? Do you want them to join us? Um, which again, could be positive or negative depending on how, uh, what your personality is like. And I, I, Right. everyone's, Yeah. And it sucks because the people, I'll say this, like one, another example, like from my side is like VCs will constantly email me. They'll be like, you know, even if you're not raising right now, we usually know a company like for six months or a year before we actually invest in them. I'm like, dude, what, like, are you doing your job correctly? Like you have, like, isn't that, that is like. <clears throat> That is kind of nepotism of like, if you only invest in people that you have like personal relationships that you've built with, like, isn't the point of a VC, you can evaluate a company and see, okay, this is, you know, they have really good metrics. I believe in this founder. I'm willing to take this bet and I'm going to allocate capital to this team. But, you know, it's almost like a, a threat to me of like, you know, Hey, we Be only my friend invest, or else. we usually invest in people that, and they're kind of like forcing me to get on these calls with them to like, Like for them to kind of understand my soul, like it's not even like a real pitch, right? It's just like, Yeah. <laughs>
um, that are only available to him. But just like on a on a high level, it 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 just feels not nice. It just feels like something's wrong. And yeah, to your point, like that's the negative side of it. I I spoke of the positive side of like you know once you understand it, there are things you could do, actionable things you do to change like how you kind of conduct yourself, which will put you a leg up. But the negative sides is like, you will always kind of, if you're not really heavily, if you're not in the inner circle, if you're not in the right mafia, if you're not in the right mob, your life will just be way harder. And maybe that's something you just have to accept. But that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's like definitely not even playing field. And like that cookie cutter mold that you talked about, um, when I was a lot younger and still entertained dreams of like, becoming a tech billionaire it's like i saw that all the time it's like well that dude went to stanford you know he got the facebook job he got into yc and then you know gets the tech startup that's like four step stage plan it's just like where do i send the check right Right. it's like like, who do i wire to (laughs) um and it's kind of funny because that was actually my plan before i was like oh you know i'll just go get a stanford mba you know after netflix i'll go to yc and then after yc i'll do something but then you know i uh, why why did you not fulfill that we could have been working basically having the same day to day i mean i took my life a different direction i think yeah. um there's a death in the family um oh, had kids um uh, kind of you know reevaluated, which you can find out all about in my new book coming out uh, oh plug march. it dude when's it coming out next march um but yeah, basically, it's mostly just all the stuff I've talked about already in TikTok, but like more detailed. Um, and for anyone who wants to write a book, don't, unless you really love writing. It's like extremely not worth it in terms of monetary uh, rewards, yeah. unless you're already famous, like Prince Harry or someone, right? I think he got an advance of like 8 million. Unless you're already famous, like Frank New, it's going to flap the shelves. Uh, I'd say I'm like a niche micro celebrity. Uh, Dude, but you're niche in like. The cool circles like the tech circles like they dude if i i was i was i was gonna i told my friends i was like oh i'm gonna be on this like podcast if i show any asian dude age like 25 <laughs> to 35 your face they'll be like oh frank new or they'll be like i have seen this dude's face before i like i've seen this dude before so like, you've definitely penetrated like you know yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think you're totally right like whenever people people who know my name that actually approach me in public guaranteed to be asian yeah, uh, in like twenty to early thirties range, yeah, effectively. Yeah, yeah. And I'm surprisingly popular in Singapore, um, which oh hell yeah is kind of interesting, I guess, because I have a friend from previous workplace. Her husband, oh well, they're both Singaporean, and then her husband is like quite connected with like Singaporean uh, politics and like tech sphere, and like he got this Koya fund round uh, tech startup and sold that wow. and a bunch of stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, a lot of my friends are, like, surprised that I know you through my wife. I'm like, oh, cool. Um, but yeah. at the same time, I think it's, like, I don't know. I would, if I could do it all over again, I'm not sure I would still start a social media account. Because I think that, like, really? I think it's bad for your mental health. Like, I don't, I don't think people are meant to, like, interact with so many people. Like, I think we're just not built for it. Oh. Like every single content creator I've talked to. So I did, uh, when I first started the podcast, I had really had no idea what direction to take it. And then I thought I would model it off of like H3's podcast where they just interview other content creators. I'm like, oh, that makes yeah. sense. You talk to other people with followings, they'll watch, right? And like the common theme of discussions, like every single person I've talked to, like 100%, 
they're all like, oh yeah, like it takes a toll on your mental health and like people have yeah. different ways of coping with it. Um, for me, my way of coping is that like, I don't care that much anyway already. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> that's, I guess just normal. But then other people, they like, they say that they have to like adopt a persona. Some people like actually hire people to like filter out comments for them. Um, I don't know. It's, it sounds ridiculous, but I think that's really smart. It, it is, is really smart. smart. I mean, yeah. if I cared more, I would do that. Well, no, I'm too cheap to do that. But like, if I, <laughs> if this is my full time thing, I would do that too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that like fame is definitely overrated once. Yeah, but it's so, it's so like, it's overrated. I, I have a couple comments here. One, it's overrated, but it's still, it's like the aftertaste is still a little sweet. You know, like I, there must be a reason you keep uploading, right? I mean, it's the reason I keep tweeting. Like, I want to act like I'm above it. I want to act like, yeah, I just post my startup updates. You know, it's for me. But I do get a, I do get that dopamine when someone says like, wow, like your journey's so crazy. You're like, mm-hmm. I learned so much from this. <clears throat> and yeah, and I, and, and I will say I empathize with like, obviously I'm on a completely different level scale uh, as you, but um you know, I could get 20 positive comments, but if I get one negative comment, it's just like in our nature, in, in my nature, like as a founder, right? You're like, you always want to prove people wrong. Like I'll yeah. get a, I'll get really nice comments. And then one person will be like, your SEO blog suck or something <laughs> you know, like something really just like this guy, clearly this guy has, this guy, you know, probably didn't even think too much about it, but you know, I do look at my SEO blogs after I'm like, yeah, this isn't like the degree of excellence that, you know, <laughs> I, I've set for myself. And like, I go and I do, I fix these blogs or I fix these, you know, articles, the reason I come out and like, yeah, it's, it's bad. It's definitely not great for your mental health for like hundreds of thousands of people to kind of have control, have some lever of control over you, at least for me. Um, I don't know. I don't know how, how much control they have over you. And the last thing is like, I do think that every job you'll have some toll on your mental health. Like I bet if we were like handing out free samples at Costco, we'd probably have some like, it would take a mental toll on us too of like, we, we're just a glorified like, you know, just giving out samples. We're just like a, a, a small cog in Costco's like grand plan of selling more rotisserie chicken. Like imagine going home and like, you can't feel, I mean, I don't know, I've never done it before. I've worked at Chipotle before and that was also not great when I was just asking like, you know, mild medium hot corn guacamole guac is extra is that okay like that was like my i would say that a thousand times a day you know and like that was definitely like not great either so um i think we do kind of choose our own battles and yeah yeah you're totally right it's like there are clearly still benefits like getting that book out now even though i don't know i feel like i framed a lot of my life and like trying to make a lot of money and in some ways i still evaluate a lot of my decisions in terms of like that, even though I don't have to yeah. anymore, um, which I guess is a habit I should try to break out of. But it's yeah. like speaking on like the book deal thing, it's like such a small amount of money. It's like, <laughs> I don't know, I guess for a lot of writers, or it seems like a lot of people aspire to be writers. <laughs> um, and then it's like, for me, I never, never really thought I would do that. But again, I guess it's like you said, it's like because you already have the following, then you get the opportunity. So like I also right. invested in a couple startups again because of the following, but I don't know. It's, it's strange though. Cause I, it sounds like you might be similar in the sense that like you're more logical minded. Um, you talked about the skill tree thing earlier 
and a lot of these you know we've been talking a lot of these things in a somewhat negative light in terms of like yeah. the social connections but like my wife loves all that stuff and she's great at it like she's great at yeah. networking and politicking and like right. she loves hanging out with people and i'm right. like man i just want to like stay home and i hate that shit i hate <laughs> that shit so much like i when i go to these startup networking events i literally am so like i just feel out of place I would rather just be building something cool, but like as you said, it's, it's just like a, an acquired skill you have to kind of get better at, especially if you're running a startup. Um, and yeah, it's unfortunate, but um, yeah, I, I guess we are similar in that in that regard. And I, dude, I'm glad I'm excited to read your book. I do think like uh, it would have been cool. Like, is there any part of you that like wants to like wants to? make something kind of crazy like make a crazy startup or is that just like fully kind of like i think part of me still is just because it's something that i haven't been able to do like i made a startup before and it failed and i'm no longer like the two friends i convinced to quit their jobs or i'm no longer friends with them yeah and also i don't know it just feels like i think that humans need some sort of goal to work towards and if you don't have one you sort of languish and just wither away and for social media, like my original goal when I started was just to beat my wife, which I did. And then it was like, okay, now it's to get this blue check That's mark. That's so funny. Yeah. And then like I did all these interview media interviews because I'm like, okay, I need these articles so I can get this stupid check mark. And then I got that. I'm like, okay, now what? Like try to get a million followers, I guess. But it's like, I guess getting followers doesn't even really mean anything because of how the algorithm works. It's yeah. like your following doesn't really matter um it doesn't really at all yeah Yeah. it's like it doesn't really affect the views all that much i think that in terms of like how many followers you have there's a baseline of like like the generic algorithm is just like oh show it to a pocket of your followers and then gradually expand that out depending on certain metrics the retention and watch time of like each concentric circle (laughs) Yeah, yeah exactly and then there are like secondary metrics like shares comments um likes etc and then they also change it based on like whatever levers the PMs are pulling. Like sometimes it'll be like they're prioritizing longer videos, like mm-hmm. over a minute to compete with, so you don't have cross post YouTube shorts. Right. Um, but like, yeah, I don't know. I think I'll probably, I mean, I'll probably be busy for the next five to 10 years with kids, honestly. Like I could, yeah. I think it's like, I could, you know, just, spend all my time working on something but um i think i already made the choice to uh focus on family which you know i'll still be young ish i mean i'll be middle-aged i am middle-aged i'll be more middle-aged uh by the time they're in school how, how old are you is this public information if you don't have saves not yeah i'm i'm 32 it's not I'm, i don't hide it or anything okay yeah i mean dude like i think the average startups successful startup founders age is like 35 or 40 or something like it's the way you know like it's way higher. It's, all, yeah, yeah. it's romanticized as like, you know, these Stanford dropouts are the ones changing the world, but really most often it's, it's actually not. So, you know, I, I, I do hope I see you out, <laughs> like back to Chamath. I see you in the arena one of these see days. In the arena. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Dude, this is an interesting podcast. I feel like we don't actually talk about like ourselves that much. We've just talked about like the all in podcast. And, like, yeah. the affairs of the... Dude, like, is our, our, our opinions really that valuable that we're just talking about critiquing like, human behavior and all that stuff is meta cool. commentary i mean yeah, yeah. i think it's 
it's interesting just because like um i don't know it, i feel like i've talked about my own story a lot and uh, yeah. i guess i'd be more interested to hear about your story and you talked about fighting cancer at the same time yeah as building your startup i assume you're you know you've won that battle and you're healthy now question mark yeah i mean i i think i'm healthy now like i i get blood tests I haven't actually gotten my, so I got like half my thyroid removed um, and the doctor said the surgery was successful. So I, I should be cancer free. Um, but yeah, it was super crazy. Like uh, it, it was pretty crazy because I was literally growing my startup from basically nothing to making millions a year while at the same time I was diagnosed with cancer. So like, What's like that quote of like, a tree can't reach the heights of heaven unless its roots are able to reach the depths of hell. And like, <laughs> that's actually kind of how I felt a little bit where like everything in my life, cause like, you know, I'm kind of, a, I, I'm, I'm kind of a dork, right? I never aspired for like, you know, too many things besides really like all I wanted was my startup to like fucking be, bring value to some people. Like that was like, it sounds like a weird goal, but that was just like my life's goal at the time. And I was finally able to achieve it. And then my life was possibly going to end at the same time. Thankfully, it was like thyroid cancer, which is like the mortality rate is actually pretty low. But, you know, even the uh, disassociation of just saying, like, I have cancer was fucking crazy. That took a long time for me to actually, like, be able to re reconcile with that. And then there was another part of, you know, there's complications with thyroid because it's in your neck. Like, you're, you're, you could lose your voice or your voice could be, like, altered after the surgery. And like my whole life, I, I obviously am not a bodybuilder. There's nothing great like physically about me. You know, there's nothing like I have no skills with my hands. I have no like trade skills. Like everything I've done is all about like communicating things, like being like a founder. And so like the fact that like the, the one, you know, bringing about like a skill tree that I've been working on was in jeopardy was also really sad to me because, um, you know, what if I woke up and like, I couldn't speak, even if it was for like three months, six months. That's actually pretty common for like a few months. You're not really able to speak uh, that well because like they have to move your vocal cords to like reach your thyroid. So like it can take time for it to get back to its normal place. But um, yeah, it was like, I mean, that was the, that's the high level summary of it, of just, it was really made me reevaluate a lot of my, my personal life. And it was just so interesting that it happened at the same time as the greatest things I've always wanted in my entire life happening at the same time. So it was like pretty crazy. <laughs> How did you even find out initially that you had anything going on? Yeah, I was in Korea at the time. I have like this like uh, growth in my jaw. You can't see it, but like if you feel it, it's like a little like marble. And that was always trippy to me. So I went there and I was like, hey, I have this growth in my jaw. Could you check it for me? And they did an ultrasound. They're like, actually, this is totally benign. Don't worry about it. Like, hey, since you're here, do you want to just like, do your neck too, like just check around. I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then they happened to check and they were like, holy shit, dude, you have like, you have like tumors in your thyroid. You know, it's, you know, it's like scary because I was in Korea, like when the really nice Korean ladies like talkative, like, oh, you're so young. What are you doing? You know, what's your job? And then like complete silence for like three minutes. She's just like continually going over, checking the thing, taking pictures. I'm like, hold, like something's weird here. And then, um, yeah, so it's actually complete luck. The fact that, she just happened to check my neck and then find thyroid cancer is like pretty crazy. And I think like my life has been like riddled with these like kind of unexplainable moments of 
like, for example, I was once on a VC call. It was going like totally lukewarm. And then he saw my scar and then he actually had the same scar. He actually also had thyroid cancer. Wow. And then he gave me a term sheet for $300,000. You know, it's like, it's like really weird coincidences happening. Um, you know, I'm not like a super religious person, but uh, just like when you kind of go through these things, our, our feeble monkey brains, I feel you just want to kind of chalk it up to like, maybe there is such a thing as fate. Maybe there is such a thing as like God, you know, and, um, you know, even if it's not totally logically coherent, it just feels nice. It just makes me slightly happier throughout the day when I think about like these happy coincidences. Yeah, definitely. Like everyone would want to ascribe like all these happenstance and chance encounters to something bigger right. than themselves, like pick, like a grand painting a tapestry of life and you're like a small part yeah. of it being woven yeah. into like the correct spot. Yeah. I've, I've, I don't know how much time you got, but I have one last story on that kind of, on that kind of point of like before my surgery, um, it was a bunch of complications. I had a fever. Uh, they were saying like, we should probably move the surgery. But I was like, no, dude, I've been waiting so many months for this. Like, let's just let's just run it. And so, uh, but in order to do that, they had to like move some surgeries around. So I actually didn't know when my surgery start date was. Uh, so my mom was next to me. She flew out to Korea with me. And she was like, yeah, I have something I want to tell you before your surgery. It's like, okay, that's fine. And it just so happened that when she went to like the bathroom or something, the Korean nurses like came rushing and they were like, all right, we moved it around. Right now's the time to go. And I was like, okay, I, I, but my mom's not here. You know, I don't speak Korean. They're like, no, we got to go right now, right now. I was like, uh, okay, can I take my phone? Like, no phone. We're, we're rocking and rolling. And I was like, okay, so they wheel me down. I'm super scared. I don't understand what they're saying to me. Obviously, I'm like, I can speak Korean, but I don't know, like, papillary carcinoma. And I don't know, you know, these medical terms. And they're explaining this shit to me. I'm signing documents I can't even read. I'm really scared. But then um, in the waiting room, I actually see above me on the ceiling, like, there's this Bible verse of just like, I, it's some generic Bible verse, like, you know, don't leave it all up to God or something kind of cliche, whatever. And for some reason, I was like, okay, I'll just, I've, I've done all I can do. I'll just leave it all up to the big man upstairs. I'll just, I'll just go into the surgery. And then so long story short, they do the surgery. It was pretty crazy. I wake up to like blood everywhere. It's like nuts. Um, I can't really move. I can't really talk. But you know, eventually five days later, I, I'm able to like whisper out some words and I'm like, you know, hey, mom, what was that thing that you wanted to tell me before my surgery? And she's like, oh, it's actually. And then she told me the Bible verse that was on the ceiling, the same Bible <laughs> verse. Right. And it's like a cute little story. We could obviously logically say like, oh, you know, the SEO of like what to tell a surgery patient before going to surgery. The dude who wrote that on the ceiling and maybe my mom Googled the same thing and they ended up with the same Bible verse. Or maybe it's just like one of the most popular Bible verses. So it's like not that remarkable that they happen to be the same thing. But um, I think like the story is way more beautiful when you think about it. Like, man, like I was ready to bolt out of there. I didn't know what the hell was happening. I was signing things I didn't know. I was really scared. But because that was on the ceiling, you know, I felt a little more resolved and I stayed and I got this, I got the surgery and now I feel a lot better. So um, yeah, like, so ever since then, I've always kind of started thinking more in terms of like happy miracles and happy like, like fate. And it probably makes me lose a little street cred in these like data scientists, like logic tech <laughs> circles. Right. But you know, who gives a fuck about their opinion? Like I'm maximizing for my own happiness. And when I see the world through this lens, like I just am, I'm just a nicer person. I'm a happier person. So, um, yeah, that's just like one kind of like funny miraculous kind of story from my surgery day. 
Yeah, that's an amazing story. It's definitely the best one that's been told on on my podcast anyway. Really? No, you're just being polite, but no, I appreciate no, really. That. I, I mean, how much better can you get than like a life threatening situation, right? Like, yeah, yeah, um, true. yeah. I mean, I think that's a really great mindset to have because I would say I'm generally a somewhat depressing person, and my wife. You kind of seem like that, dude. You kind of. I'm not gonna lie. Like yeah. you're a little like yeah. I, my like general contentment levels are probably a bit below average. Um, yeah. But I think that my wife, hers are like very high naturally. And yeah. her mindset is much more similar to the one that you, I guess, had, have now. Yeah. Where it's like everything kind of happens for a reason. Um, yeah. And I'm kind of just like, oh, well, everything just happens because it happens. But um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think a lot of it is inherited in some way because my brothers, they're also kind of like lower on the happiness levels. A little gloomy, a little yeah, gloomy, yeah, yeah. A little too it's, realistic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but, um, I mean, I was like that too, man. I was definitely like that too. And it's not, I don't want to spin some like lie. I still have, I think the reason we were able to kind of have like a pretty well flown discussion is like, I have traces of kind of being too pragmatic and like oh, yeah. looking at kind of like the, the faults in the world. Like it's pretty easy to poke. It's so easy to poke holes in oh, things. Yeah. Right. It's so easy to look at the world and like, yeah, that is stupid. That is inefficient. That is suboptimal. But like, is that really how we want to live our lives? Like, I would rather just, yeah, I would rather just focus on the positive stuff. So, yeah, know. and I think it's especially when you're an engineer, like when you're literally trained to yeah, be like, yeah. hey, you, you know, you will be rewarded for having this mindset and yeah. looking at things with like a critical eye. Right. But then right. it's like the saying, it's like. Um, you can choose to critique something and you can either like do something about it or not, or like right. give a way to potentially solve a situation. Like, are you looking right. just to poke holes just to be critical or like, can you try to flip your mindset and think of like, well, how could that idea be successful? Or like, how would you fix that? And if you can't fix it, then like, don't worry about it kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. It's definitely tough. Yeah. Uh, how, much, how much time we got? You want to share like one crazy now, now that you, you kind of heard my story, anything like kind of miraculous ever happened to you? The most miraculous thing, it almost feels like it was written. It almost feels like a, like a, you wouldn't believe it if it was in a movie because it's just, just too cliche. Like something kind of like that ever happened to you? Um, <laughs> not nearly as good as yours, but just, I guess on how I actually met my wife was very, very unlikely okay. because, so first of all, when I was moving to SF, the person who I was about to get a room with, uh, he's renting out his extra room. He actually emailed me two weeks before and said like, hey, uh, I'm going to rent it out to some other dude because he's paying me more, more money. And so like yeah. his mom, <laughs> parents bought him the condo. And I'm like, well, that yeah. sucks. So I go to try to find like an Airbnb. Uh, and I eventually find one. And this girl, she's like, hey, if you want like a more long-term thing, uh, we could think about like making this like an unofficial sublease. Uh, mm -hmm. kind of skirting around Airbnb to get around the fees and such. Okay. Um, turns out she was like a huge psychopath and oh my gosh, was like <laughs> potentially the worst person I've met in my life thus far. Oh, you know, there, there could be worse people in the future. I thought she was going to be your wife. No, no, no. I no. Thought that was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I changed her and now we're married. Uh, but yeah. eventually, uh, so we, I guess, well, because she earned a decent amount of money and all the other people that I, I knew in SF slash were friends with didn't earn as much money. Uh, I still lived with her for renewed the lease at a different place. And we got like a bigger place and nicer. 
and then she tried to rent out the living room uh, while I was on like a tech conference or something. Uh-huh. And so the first, there was like four people interested. The first person, um, she was like a person who worked at Google and she kind of backed out because I think she was getting bad vibes from my roommate, uh, oh, which no. were you know, correctly sussed yeah. out. <laughs> uh, second person was a dude and his mom didn't want him living in the living room. Mm-hmm. Uh, third person um, ended up backing out just for whatever reasons. And then the fourth person, uh, which ended up being my eventual wife, she moved in because, and my like psychopath roommate didn't want to rent it out to her because she felt like she was kind of sus. Like she was from Canada, worked in like a sales position. Right. Um, and was like, okay, well, you know, don't want to rent it out to her. She seems like the least stable out of these all these choices. So she eventually moved in. Uh, I eventually, <laughs> against my je- better judgment and all the judgment of all my friends, saying, "Hey, don't do your roommate." Uh, mm-hmm. Pursued a relationship with that girl who ended up living in the living room, uh, and then we eventually, and then there was like a huge legal battle issue with that psychopath roommate and the landlord, and yeah. Anyway, we ended up getting like somewhat kind of kicked out, not officially, but like kind of they're like, hey, we're going to evict you unless you just officially move out. My roommate was threatening to like flood the place and flee to China. Uh, the, the the psychopath went. She did a bunch more crazy stuff like Holy cow. on us, um, threatened to like self-harm herself when her boyfriend was threatening to leave her. She was like seeing all these dudes. She like got all these <laughs> STTs. Um, but, um, anyway, kind of story goes on, but, uh, eventually that person who moved into my living room and like, we're so, so different. Like she's like this outgoing salesperson. Uh, I was like nerdy tech dude. Like we would have never really met in any other circumstance. Um, that's crazy. That's so beautiful, man. That's a crazy story. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more of like a, like a, like almost like a rom-com kind of thing where yours is yeah. more like a drama, right? Yours has like the highs and lows and mine's just kind of yeah. like, ha ha. Like <laughs> I, I had to put more stakes on the table. I think of like my life or like, I guess you put a lot of stakes. You're the person you choose to spend the rest of your life with is pretty crazy too. So, I mean, she's not crazy, but it is a crazy <laughs> decision. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love your story. I mean, I have a crazy story with my girlfriend that I I'm with right now too, but basically like, that's what life's about really like finding like that's the most important decision is finding like your life partner and like i'm glad that your living room was airbnb out <laughs> i guess that was the really determining factor of like this whole trajectory of your life is just your living room <laughs> your airbnb living room which is pretty funny yeah it's i don't know like like you said there's all these things that kind of i mean i think we've both been very fortunate in a lot of ways um and a side tiny fun fact that I read about recently, Asian Americans, specifically like Eastern Asians who have been more or less assimilated, who like are English speaking, grew up in the West, perform better, like make more money when you standardize the IQ compared to their white counterparts. So basically out of like all the different ethnicities, it's like Asian people are killing it like career and money wise. Um, and then the article didn't really go into the like whys. The why, yeah, because like. Because that would be like racist, right? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it just. Let's not get into it here either. <laughs> ah, whatever. No one's going to listen to this last part. We're like in the in the dregs. But I think it mostly comes down to culture because it's like, I think our 
parents, at least majority of Asian parents that I know of, they really instill like, hey, education, hard work, um, like putting your head down and doing the work, which I think also leads to this personality of like, we're not awesome at socializing because instead of like going out to party and dating and doing all this sports and stuff growing up, it's like, hey, you know, we're studying, we're hitting the books, we're doing well on our tests, um, right. we're putting the work in, which also leads to these situations in the workplace or in networking events or like raising VC money where you're kind of at a disadvantage because like instead of getting people to look at the metrics and being like, hey, you know, I'm doing good work. I have this industry knowledge. Like you can look at my metrics, you can look at this growth. Like this should be yeah. enough, right? Like look at the yeah. numbers, look at the data. And then a lot of people who are completely westernized, right? They're, they're expecting a lot of like the chit chat, the like wine and dine, the, yeah. um, the socialization aspect. Um, but I guess like overall, when you average it out against entire population, like this still turns out to be like a high expected value play. Like it on turns out like working really hard and keeping your head down, um, still works out pretty well. Uh, Dude, hundred percent. And the crazy thing is like, I think that I honestly feel like the world was just like, is giving me so many miracles because I'm the exact same way of like, I'm not really good at socializing. I just want to put my head down and work, but it happened to, ha it happened to be the COVID took over the world so that I actually was pitching to VCs over like webcam, which is much less scary than having to stand in front of like in a boardroom with the, with the monitor, you know, and like having to actually like go to these networking parties, but like now I can just join via zoom. And it was like, that was so good for me as somebody with like not the best socializing skills. And then on top of that, when COVID relaxed, everyone had masks. So when I had when when I had to actually go to these pitch pitches to like do it in person and in front of crowds, I was able to wear a mask, which makes it so much less scary because like, you know, even if my face turns red or I feel like a question flusters me, I was able to kind of hide that behind a mask. And then once you do that enough, you don't really need the mask because you have enough of like the experience doing it on stage with a mask. So, yeah, I mean, like I totally vibe with that of like, you know, I feel like in general, Asian Americans are a little more timid a little more reserved and a little more um, just kind of heads down and, and focus. And um, it just so happened that the cards were played out where like, even though I didn't have these other skill sets, like the circumstances turned out where I didn't really need them as much. And I think honestly, that played to a lot of like my current startup success is just those circumstances. So a lot of like my success is like luck, like like that they, these things kind of unfolding. And it kind of goes back to like, these are really crazy miracles of like the entire world had to shut down for me to have like an equal fighting chances, like the absolute Riz Lord from Stanford. You could go into like a meeting room and just like, you know, look these guys, these like billionaires in the eyes and get a hundred thousand check. I can't even look them in the eyes like when I'm 20, 21. Right. So, but you know, it's easy for me to look at myself on the screen. It's easy for me to like share a screen. If I'm like a little pixel in the corner, it's not that scary to me. So um, yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, uh, I mean, you can link me to it after, but like, yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And it's hilarious. Cause like the zoom evening out the playing field is also been studied somewhat. And it's like people who are taller have advantage in the workplace, but over zoom, everyone's the same height. And Dude, we're both six, four right now. <laughs> we're both six, four, man. <laughs> and not even that. So like if someone works remote, like I remember this one dude, he was like a contractor at Grubhub. He came in, dude was completely jacked. Like you couldn't tell from his like <laughs> up because it just looked like a normal guy. But he came to yeah. the office, dude was huge, like tall, jacked. It's like 
he probably would have gotten more money if he came to the office, but he was like a remote worker. Um, yeah. And I think to a lesser extent, it even has to do with um, female attractiveness levels. So they found out, I forget what the, this was like high school. I hope it was high school. But teachers generally would give better grades to females who are more attractive, both genders. And so high school teachers would. Teachers would. But over Zoom. That feels icky, dude. Yeah, I don't know if I feel it's, about that. Yeah, it's a little icky. But like yeah. over online, over Zoom, like that effect yeah. diminished to effectively zero. Um, yeah. And I think that's like, like he's mentioned earlier, like we can't escape our human impulses. And like people who are right. more attractive, better, and like taller uh, in person, like they get a lot of these advantages. But like as we move to a lot of online interactions and Zoom calls, um, the playing field actually does get evened out a bunch. Assuming oh, yeah. you can speak like proper English, there's always still that language barrier, which, you know, with AI, maybe it'll actually be gone soon. Because, like, I actually saw something pretty crazy recently. A person had a live transcription of the interviewer asking questions and then hooked that up to ChatGPT. So oh, that... my buddy made that. Oh, my really? buddy made that tool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. My boy Aiden made that tool. It's like, uh, uh, it's like your AI interview helper, and then it's like it's like you could it shows what they ask and gives you like a script of what you could answer yeah, with, right? And then yeah, the yeah. person used it to answer like these chemistry questions, and they weren't trained in like chemistry at all. Um, yeah, it's like yeah, the future of interviewing. How do you even <laughs> fix that? I don't know. Uh, it's the crazier AI is like there's a a company selling to like offshore like customer sales service where the person speaks and then the AI removes their accent. So they just sound like a person born in the USA, which is like, I don't know how I feel about that, but it probably is going to increase customer satisfaction, unfortunately, yeah, just because people don't like, people want to feel like they're talking to, you know, so I mean, it, it, yeah. It, yeah, like, so it's going to be kind of wild. Like, I'm not like, even the weird things, like the, the AI that makes us your eyes are always looking into the camera. Yeah. Yeah. And so that in conjunction with the script on the right, in conjunction with making your voice like five octaves deeper so you sound like a giga chad <laughs> and then like a deep fake to make yourself like the right. make your receding hairline a little more or less yeah, and like yeah. all that dude it's gonna be crazy i don't know what the future is gonna look like <laughs> it's like you already see the influencers with filters and it's just taking that to the next level of like right. all this stuff put together you can look and sound like anyone online effectively um, dude wait till we meet i'm like three foot two i'm like uh, <laughs> i'm actually not even asian no i'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is just a really good filter yeah Real exactly life. yeah <laughs> um okay i probably gotta get going soon i gotta go pick up my kids um but dude, let's genuinely fun talking with you genuinely fun talking with you man yeah i mean definitely um we should chat again um love yeah. updates on your oh, just life and also didn't even get to get a chance to ask about your hobbies or like what you like to do in your downtime um dude we're just philosophizing, man. We're I'm like, <laughs> we're 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 solving the world's most toughest questions on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, have every from in the future. This is how you solve all the problems. Have all your calls filtered so everyone's yes. levelly attractive and uh, yes, boom, boom. No more nepotism. Go. Good good way to end it. But yeah, thanks so much for having me on, dude. I haven't I don't do a lot of podcasts. Hopefully, this was entertaining for whoever's listening. But like, dude, well, let's do this again sometime. For sure. Awesome. Thanks for joining, David. And right. thank you to everyone listening to the Frankly Speaking podcast. I'll see you next time.